Hi, I'm Jeffrey. Welcome back to Nightfalls. Come, settle in for tonight's calming meditation and soothing bedtime story. As always, don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. You can drift off whenever you're ready. Get comfortable around the campfire tonight and listen in as detective extraordinaire Sherlock Holmes is reunited with a dear old friend and finds himself wrapped up in yet another mystery. Tonight's story is one of friendship. I hope never to find myself away from Devani, Lyra, Anwin or Otto for too long. But were that ever to be the case, I feel sure I've found four friendships that would pick up just as they left off. And as seamlessly as John Watson and Sherlock's does in tonight's tale. Before we begin, here's a quick word from our valued sponsors who make this free content possible. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two taps on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven, natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. Before we join Sherlock for another twisting, turning mystery, why not take a moment to wind down after another long day? Begin by twisting and turning your muscles, stretching them out however feels best for you. When you're feeling ready, when your muscles feel long and loose and your joints a little better oiled, come to a comfortable position and allow your eyes to gently drift closed. 
Draw a deep breath in through your nose. Hold it for a moment and sigh out through your mouth. Breathe in and out. Inhale and exhale. Your breath comes evenly and easily. Take some time to give gratitude for that simple fact. Allow your next breath to drift a little deeper into your body, beyond your lungs and into your abdomen, where it comes to settle the very core of your being. Release that breath on a long, lazy sigh of relief and allow the thoughts and fears bottled up in your core to drift from your body on the tide of your out-breath. In the space left behind by that negative energy, a pool begins to gather. As each breath arrives at your core, it turns to water, calm, crystalline, and almost balm-like as it settles itself within you. With each cycle of your breath, that pool grows, bringing with it a sense of calm, of confidence, of inner peace. As you lie there relaxing, know that your inner peace, this pool of calm, is never more than a few deep breaths away. Drawing a deep breath in, feel that sense of calm swell within you. And as you exhale, let go of the thoughts and feelings that anchor your mind in the day. And give yourself over to the growing sense of peace within you. Now, if you're feeling ready, tonight's story can begin. It was approaching 11.15am when retired detective Sherlock Holmes arrived at Inglewood Bay Station. His good friend, Dr. John Watson, was on his way from London and his arrival was imminent. They hadn't seen each other since Sherlock moved to the coastal town over a year ago. The train came into view. Delicate tendrils of white smoke framed the glistening black engine. The relaxing rhythm of the wheels clicking over the tracks entwined with the echo of the fading whistle. 
the train approached the track and came to a slow stop. Train doors began to open and cheerful greetings filled the air as passengers stepped onto the platform. A familiar figure disembarked and looked left and right. It was Dr. John Watson. Sherlock's detective skills instinctively took in John's appearance. He was wearing a dark grey suit that Sherlock hadn't seen before. He assumed the modern style of the suit was something John's wife, Mary, had been instrumental in choosing. She had impeccable taste in clothes and kept up to date with the latest fashions. John's grey moustache had a touch more silver in it but it made him look even more distinguished. To the everyday person, John appeared to be an average-looking man of medium height. But there was nothing at all average about John Watson, and his intellect and observation skills had been invaluable to Sherlock over the years. John's searching gaze alighted on Sherlock, and he broke into a huge smile. The two friends shook hands warmly. Comments were made about the train journey, the food on board, and John's fellow travellers. Sherlock inquired after Mary's health and that of his ex-landlady, Mrs. Hudson. John advised that both were in excellent health and had sent their good wishes to Sherlock. Mrs. Hudson had also sent a small fruitcake for Sherlock that John had secured inside his overnight bag. As the two friends walked away from the station, John asked how retired life was treating Sherlock. Sherlock nodded. Very well, John. My days are filled with one pleasant occupation after another. I have several walking routes that I embark on daily, and there is a wonderful variety of eating establishments that I call upon. And my rooms at the boarding houses are perfect. The windows afford a lovely view of the beach and the town. They left the small station behind, crossed the road. John smiled as he looked towards the golden, sandy beach and the calm sea that lapped gently at the shore. He declared the vista to be an extremely pleasing one and the sea air very refreshing. There was the smallest hint of amusement in John's voice as he said, are you missing your detective work? Sherlock laughed. My dear friend, you know I've undertaken some cases of detection. The ones I mentioned in my correspondence to you. Those occasions were to help my fellow townspeople. 
I haven't advertised my services, but if people need my assistance, I am more than happy to help them. I'm glad to hear that, John said, because not only have I brought a fruitcake from Mrs. Hudson, I've brought a mystery too. But I'm not entirely sure it is a mystery, or merely a coincidence. I'd like your opinion on that. Sherlock said, A mystery that might not be a mystery. Interesting. Before we discuss this further, I must take you to my boarding house and let you unpack. My landlady, Mrs. Pemberton, is waiting for you, and I won't be forgiven if I delay your arrival. The two friends continued walking, and soon arrived at the cream-coloured building that had become home to Sherlock. The moment Sherlock and John walked into the building, they were greeted enthusiastically by Mrs. Pemberton. It didn't escape Sherlock's notice that his landlady was wearing her best housecoat over her favourite navy dress. She insisted Sherlock and his companions stay for a cup of tea and some scones that were still warm from the oven. With impressive efficiency, she led them into the dining room where her best china lay upon a table covered in a snowy white tablecloth. She took Dr. Watson's overnight bag and then recited a list of the evening's meals and dishes that would be available for breakfast. She took Dr. Watson's order, committed it to memory, and then left the cosy dining room, closing the door firmly behind her. John pronounced Mrs. Pemberton to be a marvel, and it was no wonder Sherlock was enjoying his lodging so much. As they were the only people in the room, John began to tell Sherlock about the peculiar mystery that he'd mentioned earlier. Holding a cup of tea in his hand, John leaned back in his chair and said, A few days ago, I was walking around the streets of London and came upon a small theatre that I'd never noticed before. A play was advertised on the board outside and the matinee performance was about to start. It was advertised as a mystery, and I thought an afternoon in the theatre would be a pleasant way to spend my time. When Sherlock asked the name of the play, John replied, The Missing Teapot. His words caused a smile to alight on Sherlock's face, but he didn't say anything. He helped himself to a warm scone and heaped a generous amount of strawberry jam onto it. He waited for John to continue. The play was a simple one, and the mystery had the usual red herrings and misdirections. It didn't take me long to work out who had taken the teapot. But during the early part of the play, something peculiar happened. 
and it reminded me of one of our solved cases. John explained how a character in the play had made a reference to a music box that played a particular song. But one day, the box began to inexplicably play a different tune. He asked Sherlock if he remembered their case about a music box and the peculiar tune it had started to play, and which, it turned out, was actually a coded message. Sherlock did remember the case and said the comment could have been a simple coincidence. John said he thought so too, and even though the words did fit in with the play, they struck John as slightly odd somehow, but he put it down to a mere coincidence. But as the play progressed, three more comments were made that referred to their previous cases. Which cases? Sherlock asked. The Broken Jade Dragon, the Sapphire and Ruby Necklace, and the Lost Map. I considered it more than a coincidence. John put his cup down. He leaned closer to Sherlock and said, My curiosity was piqued. Once the performance was over, I asked the theatre staff who the playwright was, but nobody knew. There wasn't a name on the programme. In fact, it was conspicuously absent. I returned the following day to make further investigations, but the play was no longer on and had been replaced with another one. Sherlock, what do you make of those peculiar references to our cases? Should I have made discreet inquiries about the identity of the playwright and asked to meet with them to find out their significance? It is an intriguing situation, Sherlock agreed. The elusive playwright must have placed those references in the play for a reason. Yet what that reason was shall, most possible, remain a conundrum. John let out a gentle sigh, picked up his cup again, and gazed nonchalantly at the view outside. His casual demeanour did not fool Sherlock for a moment. John, my dear friend, you cannot pull the wool over my eyes. The play did not close for good, and I suspect you already know that. The play moved to Inglewood Bay Theatre, and it opened a few days ago. I noticed the advertising board on one of my daily strolls. John looked back at Sherlock, raised one eyebrow and said, Oh? Did it? Sherlock smiled at his friend and asked if his visit today was to see Sherlock or to delve deeper into the mysterious play. John said, My primary reason for coming here was to see you. Of that, there is no doubt. I've missed our conversations. But yes, it is a bonus to discover the missing teapot has arrived in your lovely town. When I found out the play had closed in London, 
one of the theatre staff told me where it had moved to. Perhaps we could call at the theatre and watch the matinee performance. Then you can see for yourself how peculiar those comments were. I'll be interested to hear your thoughts. Sherlock dabbed delicately at the corners of his mouth with a napkin before replying, I did have other activities planned for your visit, but nothing that can't wait. He checked his pocket watch. I do believe the matinee performance starts in 55 minutes. The theatre is a nine-minute walk away, which leaves us sufficient time to finish our tea and scones. We wouldn't want to upset Mrs. Pemberton by leaving anything on our plates. Thirty-three minutes later, Sherlock and Dr. Watson were sitting in the fourth row of Inglewood Bay Theatre. Sherlock had chosen the seats because of their optimum view of the stage. They had bought a programme on the way in, but despite a scrupulous examination of it, they found no reference to the person who had written the play. Unable to quell their sleuthing natures, John and Sherlock had looked left and right as people arrived at the theatre and took in their appearances and mannerisms. In a low whisper, John asked Sherlock if he thought the mysterious playwright might be amongst the audience, and, if so, would they get a chance to meet them and talk about the mysterious lines spoken by the characters? It's a possibility that the playwright might be in the vicinity, and if we did speak to them, it would bring your mystery to an end. Sherlock smiled. I rather hope we don't meet the playwright just yet. I like the idea of solving a mystery together one more time. John agreed with his sentiments. The house lights dimmed, and an expectant hush fell over the audience. With a light swish, the opulent velvet curtains were pulled to the side. The play began. Sherlock soon became absorbed in the unfolding plot and the cleverly written dialogue. The story centred around an antique teapot that went missing. A series of misunderstood conversations ensued, and the teapot was eventually located, much to everyone's delight. The play was an amusing comedy of errors, entwined with an enjoyable mystery. Once the mystery was solved, the play was brought to a satisfying ending, and the actors took their bows. The enthusiastic applause was well deserved. The house lights came back on. The audience began to leave the theatre. Dr. Watson turned to Sherlock and asked if he'd noticed those references to their previous cases. Sherlock said he had, and was intrigued as to why they had been written into the play. He asked John if he'd noticed the strange words that had been spoken by the boy in the flat cap. Words that referred to Sherlock's time in Inglewood Bay. John shook his head, 
Sherlock said, Near the end of the play, the boy said something about having sent a jaunty postcard to his friend in London, and he was going to send another one, perhaps a card with a lighthouse on it this time. I suspect those comments were meant for me, unless the boy said the same lines in the play you saw in London. John said he didn't recall that, and asked Sherlock what the significance was. When I first moved here, I sent some humorous postcards to you and Mrs. Hudson. Do you remember? I do. I still have my postcard. Sherlock continued. It appears we've been given a clue and need to visit the shop where I bought those postcards and look for the one that has a lighthouse on it. Our unknown playwright may have set a mystery for us. What do you think, John? Shall we investigate further? As if you need to ask, John replied with a smile. The detecting duo left the theatre. As they walked along the street, John noticed a look of contemplation on Sherlock's face and asked if something was perplexing him. Sherlock said the missing teapot had ignited a faint memory somewhere in his mind. He wasn't sure what it was, but it would come to him in good time. Sherlock led John towards the pier and to the gift shop where he'd purchased the postcards. They arrived at the gift shop that housed a wonderfully eclectic mix of memorabilia that would suit the taste of any visitor. The young man who had served Sherlock when he'd originally bought the postcards was on duty. When he saw Sherlock and John entering the shop, he smiled as though he'd been expecting them, which, it turned out, he had been. Afternoon, Mr. Holmes. I've got something for you. The man reached into a drawer behind the counter and pulled out a postcard. He handed it to Sherlock. The picture on the card was of a lighthouse, the very one that overlooked Inglewood Bay. Sherlock turned the card over and read the written message out loud. A gardener with the Midas touch awaits your visit. He lowered the card thanked the man for his help and told John he knew where they should go next. John asked Sherlock a question as they walked back along the pier, but Sherlock didn't answer because he was momentarily distracted by the sight of a china teapot on a cafe table. He was certain he'd heard a story about a missing teapot and he'd heard it from someone in Inglewood Bay. The precise details still hadn't made themselves clear, but they would in time. John repeated his question and asked who the gardener was with the Midas touch. Sherlock's response was to take John down a tree-lined street into a red-roofed bungalow that was surrounded by a large garden. Inside the garden, a middle-aged man dressed in casual clothes 
and a wide-brimmed hat, was lovingly pruning a rosebush. He looked up at Sherlock and Watson's approach and put his shears into a wide canvas belt that was secured around his waist. Sherlock, my good man, I was wondering when you would show up. The man aimed a smile of welcome at John. And you must be Dr. Watson. I've been expecting you too. Very pleased to meet you. I'm Tobias Gilbert, keen gardener and rose enthusiast, albeit in a strictly amateur capacity. Sherlock showed him the postcard with the lighthouse on it and asked if he was right to assume Tobias was the gardener in question. I am indeed. Well worked out. He addressed his next words to Dr. Watson. As well as being a gardener, I'm also the mayor of Inglewood Bay, and it's in my professional capacity that I shall need to speak to you further. And of course, I shall need to be addressed appropriately before I do that if you'll excuse me for just a moment. Tobias invited them to take a seat on a garden bench whilst they waited for him to change. Sherlock and John settled down on the bench and admired the colourful garden. Sherlock said that despite his claims of being an amateur gardener, Mayor Gilbert was a natural when it came to horticultural matters and could revive any ailing plant. Is that where his Midas touch comes from? John asked. That, and something else. Whenever anyone has a problem in town, Tobias will go out of his way to help them solve it. He has a network of friends around the country who are always willing to help him. Nothing is too much trouble for him. Ah, here he is now in his official attire. Tobias Gilbert had changed out of his gardening clothes and into a navy velvet robe. Golden ceremonial chains hung around his neck and glimmered and glittered in the afternoon sun. Tobias ran his hand down the chains and said he cleaned them every day, just in case anyone should stop by and ask his opinion on an official matter. And it went without saying that he always wore his chains when he needed to visit the town hall. Which is where we need to go now, the mayor announced. I assume you've been to the matinee performance of The Missing Teapot and noticed the clue? I saw the play yesterday. What do you think of it? Sherlock and John advised that they had enjoyed it immensely and thought it was well written with believable characters and a smooth flowing plot. A hint of warmth came into the mayor's eyes. I agree with you about the writing but I'm biased because I know who the writer is. And before you ask, I'm not at liberty to say who that is, but all will be revealed to you soon. Sherlock, what did you think about the actual story of the missing teapot? It's funny you should ask. There's something familiar about that story, but I've yet to make the connection. The mayor said, If you gentlemen would like to accompany me to the town hall, the next piece of your puzzle will be revealed 
glanced at his golden chains and noticed a speck of dust on them. He took a freshly pressed handkerchief from his pocket and cleaned the area until it shone brightly once more. He told Sherlock and John that it wouldn't do to look anything less than perfect, not when he was part of a mystery that involved the great detective and his famous friend. Sherlock muttered he wasn't a detective anymore, and John said he didn't consider himself to be famous. The mayor checked his chains a final time before leading Sherlock and John out of the garden, across the street, and into a large, two-story building that held a brass plaque on the wall that confirmed it was Inglewood Bay Town Hall. Tobias told John the town hall wasn't used that much, and most council matters were brought to a satisfactory conclusion over a cup of tea at one of the local cafes. The decor inside the building was in line with what was expected inside a town hall. Thick carpets covered the floors, and oil paintings of previous mayors adorned the painted walls. Tobias took them into his private office. He walked over to a framed picture of a predecessor, and with great ceremony, he removed the painting and placed it on the floor. Behind the painting was a safe. Sherlock and John discreetly turned their backs whilst the mayor of Inglewood Bay unlocked the safe. After a few moments, Tobias said they could turn back around. When they did so, they noticed a small envelope in his hand. Tobias reverently handed it over to Sherlock, who studied it. Comprehension dawned on his face, and he broke into a smile. He gave the envelope to John and asked him to open it. Sherlock said, If my suspicions are correct, there should be a clue inside that will take us to Bluebird Cafe on Bridge Street. John opened the envelope. Inside was a piece of paper. On the paper was a drawing of a single bluebird. With a light chuckle, John said, Not a very cryptic clue, but a bluebird nonetheless. How did you know? I caught an aroma of vanilla and chocolate coming from the envelope, Sherlock explained. It's a particular combination that comes from a special cake, one that is baked every morning at the Bluebird Cafe on Bridge Street. Not only did the aroma lead me to that conclusion, but I now know the significance of the teapot in the play and the identity of the playwright. The mayor was impressed. All that from an aroma. A fragrance can trigger many memories, Sherlock answered. Thank you for your help, Mayor Gilbert. I trust we haven't taken up too much of your time. Not at all. It's been an absolute pleasure. You know how much I love wearing my chains. I might keep them on a little longer whilst I check my diary. Could you see yourselves out, please? and give my kind regards to the playwright when you meet up. 
Sherlock promised to do so. John had at least three questions for Sherlock, but he knew better than to expect a reply just yet. Sherlock much preferred the solution to a mystery to be revealed at the appropriate time and in the appropriate place. All John had to do now was to enjoy the final part of the journey. The Bluebird Cafe was busy when they arrived, and the delicious aroma of chocolate and vanilla scented the air. Sally, the owner of the cafe, was talking to a customer behind the counter when Dr. Watson and Sherlock entered. So they found an empty table and took a seat whilst they waited to be served. Sally came over to their table with an open notepad in one hand and a pen in the other. She bade them a warm welcome and asked how she could help. Sherlock said, You have already helped us, Sally. You have provided a most excellent mystery. A lot of thought has been put into it. Could you take a seat and explain how you did it, please? And you can let us know when you became a playwright. I know you had plans to become a writer, but I had no idea your work could be made into a play. Congratulations. Your writing skills are impressive. You're the mysterious playwright? Dr. Watson asked, and you sent a series of clues that led us here. Sally lowered the notepad and smiled. Guilty. It wasn't much of a mystery, and nothing like the ones you're both used to. Dr. Watson, when Sherlock told me you were coming to visit him, I couldn't resist setting a puzzle for you. I had help along the way, particularly from the mayor. There are a few reasons why I wanted you here. Sally went on to thank Sherlock for his support and encouragement when she had first told him about her writing plans all those months ago and how she would love to be a mystery writer. He had told her to pursue her dreams and to never give up. She intended to write a novel, but soon discovered a penchant for writing plays instead. Mr. Holmes, I was going to tell you about the play by presenting you with tickets when the performance arrived in Inglewood Bay. She smiled at Dr. Watson and continued, but the director saw you at the theatre in London and I knew you'd recognise the references to your cases. And as you were due to visit Sherlock today, I imagined you would discuss the play with him and possibly work out who had written it. I thought you and Mr. Holmes might visit the theatre not long after you arrived, and so I added an extra line to the play about the postcards in the hope you would follow the clues. I don't know if you remember, Mr. Holmes, You came here to write a message on the postcards before posting them. You showed them to me and said where you'd bought them. Sherlock nodded. You have an excellent memory. Tell us more about the missing teapot in the play. I finally remembered the significance, but could you explain it to John? Sally sat down with Sherlock and John. She explained the play was based on a story her grandmother had told her about a special teapot, a 
and how it had gone missing one day. It turned out Sally's grandfather had accidentally broken it. He attempted to get it repaired at a local shop before her grandmother noticed it was missing. But things didn't run smoothly, just as they hadn't in the play. But everything worked out well in the end. Sherlock nodded. He told me that story on my first visit to this cafe. And that's why the play was so familiar to me, even though it took me a while to remember why. Can you tell us why you mentioned our cases in your play? Sally said that even though the play had been an easy one to write, she wasn't sure what to do with it once it was finished. It never occurred to her to send it out into the world. It was only when the mayor came into the cafe one day on council business and heard her discussing the issue of the play with her mother that a solution was offered. Mayor Gilbert had a contact in a London theatre who was always on the lookout for new talent. And so, the play was sent to the director. The director loved it, and once he'd heard that Sherlock had inspired Sally to write a mystery, he came up with the idea of adding a dedication to the great detective and his companion by making references to their solved cases. It was Sally's idea to remain anonymous, but she had planned for her name to be revealed on the night Sherlock attended the play in Inglewood Bay. With a smile, Sally said, I should have known you'd be one step ahead of me, Mr. Holmes, and discover my identity so soon. And now, for the other reason I wanted you both here. I want to offer you a special Bluebird Cafe afternoon tea with all the trimmings, including my chocolate and vanilla cake. It's my way of saying thank you. What do you say? Would you like me to prepare that for you? It was an offer that neither detective could refuse, and they agreed the sleuthing they'd undertaken that day had made them pleasantly hungry. Sally headed into the kitchen to prepare the afternoon tea. Dr. John Watson looked towards the windows and took in the wonderful view of the beach. In the distance, he saw a lighthouse nestling on the white cliffs. He sighed happily and said Inglewood Bay was the perfect place for a detective to retire. Have you retired, Sherlock? Truly retired? I'm not so sure about that, and if my instincts are correct, Mrs. Lawson, who is sitting at the corner table, is about to approach us. Going by the expression on her face, I think she needs help of a sleuthing nature. Sherlock was correct. Mrs. Lawson walked over to them and briefly explained her situation. She asked if Sherlock could help her. Without any hesitation, he agreed to assist her as soon as they'd finished at the cafe. He raised one eyebrow in question at his dear friend, Dr. John Watson, and asked if he would like to help too. 
John said he would be delighted to help. Mrs. Lawson thanked them warmly and returned to her table. John said, It seems that great detectives never truly retire. Neither do their sleuthing companions, Sherlock said. <laughs>